Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Today we're going to focus on how we can experience peace of mind uh, through presence. And of course, when we are present, um, it means that we have given all of our attention and focus to the moment in which we're in. And I believe that that's how God relates with us. He not only invites us into his presence, but he always gives himself entirely to us. He gives his full attention to each of us. That's who God is. And I know that when we find someone who gives us even just a fraction of that, we gravitate to them. And we sometimes give them attributes like this person is more than a friend. They're they're like a brother. They're like a sister to me. Sometimes those people can feel closer than our own family members because of the level of presence that they offer us. And when it's spoken of Jesus, it's made clear in the scriptures that he is someone who sticks closer to us than a brother. And that is the kind of presence that Jesus is offering each and every one of us today. And so no matter where we may feel unsettled in the area of peace in our lives, wherever we may be struggling with our mental health and maybe have serious worries and concerns as well as anxieties and maybe depression. And I want us to understand that the story that we're going to look at isn't a solution to all of that. What God does is that he gives us principles. He points us in a direction through his wisdom so that we can begin to take the steps to becoming whole, to becoming healthy, to becoming everything that he always knew we would be if we would turn to his presence. And so what the presence of God does is that it impacts us in ways that we haven't even fully understood yet. Because the more you practice the presence of God, the more you realize what needed healing. And sometimes the area where God goes is in an area where you felt fine. You, you didn't see that as the issue. You didn't see that as the problem. But, but what God's presence does is that it reveals what the problem is at the root level. And it exposes things within us that we sometimes are just not ready to deal with. And interestingly enough, sometimes that happens through external circumstances. We get pushed into things and maybe sometimes even cornered into something. Sometimes we, we feel like well, there's nowhere else to go but to retreat from this. And other times we realize that what God is doing is he's pushing us out of that corner to face the very thing that is really the root issue of why we cannot have peace. 
And so today, I pray that the word that we hear today is not the words of a man, but the words of God, and that his wisdom would be what we would hear today, not mine, because I, I have no wisdom to offer you other than what the scriptures are offering all of us. The wisdom of God is what we need to have breakthroughs. That's what's going to bring the real healing in our lives. And so this moment is, like for me, every other moment before it, it's always about making sure that we focus on how we can have that breakthrough. And I'll tell you why. Because if we don't have breakthroughs, then what we experience are levels of burnout that cripple and paralyze us and keep us from experiencing the fullness of the power that God has always had there waiting for us to experience that breakthrough. And if you've ever been through a burnout or if you ever used that word and if you've ever described the situation that you were in with the word burnout like I have, then you know that what has happened if you're a spiritual person is that you have lost sight of the presence of God. We, we wouldn't label it like that because we would think that, well, no, I mean, I never stopped believing in God. I, I never stopped believing in God. I never stopped believing in Jesus. I, I never stopped serving Him, even in the context of a community of faith and giving myself to the study of His scriptures. And, but there's something that happens without even realizing is that we are leaking and we sometimes don't know where the hole is. And what God does with his presence is that he shows you where you're leaking so that you can experience your healing. And so I, I don't want you um, to be like 50% of us massively in this room because that's what statistics tell us, that are on the verge of burnout. I want us all, 100% of us, to be on the verge of a breakout. I want us to have a breakthrough, but better. I want us to have a breakout out of the prison that we're in so we can experience the power that Jesus has for us. Yeah, clap. That's good. Yeah. And here's what I've been able to identify in my own life, okay? So there's a difference between being stressed out and, and being burnt out. And when we talk about being stressed out, when we talk about being burnt out, um, I want you to see that stress is generally short-lived, and it's related to a temporary project or event. And so we know that this has, like, an end date. It's just a, a season, it's a period of time, and so it can stress us, but we know that it's not going to last forever. It may feel like that, but we also know that it sometimes can have a clear end date, and sometimes it's a little bit more vague, but there is one nonetheless. And so we have to know that this is coming to an end, and, and, and that you know, still produces stress in us. But burnout, on the other hand, that's chronic. It's, it's something that feels like it's never-ending. And I want us to see that in the story that we're in, that, that this is exactly what happens to the, to the main character in the story. 
Because what happens in the story happens to anyone who's ever experienced either stress or, or even burnout, because our body responds to this stress and burnout in a physical manner, in a mental manner, and also in an emotional manner. In fact, when we think about how this has an impact, it always has an impact on us first physically. And we don't realize it, but, but that's where it's starting. It's starting physically, even though we cannot always identify it in the physical, we first identify it often in the mental, and we sometimes can even just notice it first, of course, in the emotional, because that's how we kind of let out what's happening on the inside. And so emotional is what we often reveal. And then we start to see that it's having an even deeper impact on us mentally. And then we tend to look at how it's impacting us physically. But I just need you to understand that it's actually happening in reverse. And when you understand this, then you understand that, that what is actually happening to us is not getting progressively better, it's getting progressively worse. And, and it gets to the point where your, your mental is so broken down, but it's because you're physically unable to sustain the mental. I know physiologically, the, the mind is what guides all things, but physically is where you're going to feel it first. And so Elijah is the story that we're in, the character that we're looking at. And it's a story in which Elijah is afraid, and he runs for his life. And the scripture that we're looking at is in 1 Kings 19, verses 3 to 5. And it says that Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, that he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. And he actually said these words, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. And um, he says, I'm no better than my ancestors. And the reason he says that is because prior to this, his people had experienced a great miracle on Mount Carmel and fire actually physically came from the heavens and burnt up an offering that the prophets of Baal could not light, and on this altar and upon which there was a sacrifice, Elijah's uh, simple prayer brought the fire that consumed not just the sacrifice, but its altar, and all the gallons of water that had been poured over it, and then after all of this, he looked for support in terms of destroying not only all the remnants of this false god called Baal, but he took it one step further and, and killed its prophets. And the Bible says that he oversaw this personally, and it gives us the impression that he may have been the one who was actually doing all the killing, and there was 450 of them. I've never even killed 
one person's. I don't know what it looks like to kill 450. But anyone who's ever done that or witnessed that or been in the presence of that has experienced incredible trauma from that. And I want you to imagine how physically drained uh, Elijah is in this moment, but he's, he's also like mentally drained and he's emotionally drained. And, and the whole time that there's this massive buildup of these prophets circling this altar and cutting themselves and, and for hours they prayed and, and, and you can imagine how exhausted he was just after that, that, that he would then have to then proceed to have to uh, take the life of 450 prophets so that they could strike out this, this falsehood from among them. The lies and the deception that came at the hands of these servants of Satan as opposed to him being the one who stood in the gap as a servant of God. And because of all that pressure that was on him, all that responsibility that he had to carry, you can imagine the weight that was upon him and how he felt crushed by that. I mean, he, he obviously was elated by what happened, but, but you know how you can have such a, a high that it, it just can sometimes just keep soaring to the point where, well, you can't maintain that anymore, that, that the, the, the further you've gone up, the crash that follows going down is so incredibly devastating. I want you to imagine that this is what's happened to Elijah. And if you've ever gone through anything like this where you've just felt like you were on the pinnacle of success, only to then just in a moment's breath later just lose it. Maybe you felt that in your business and you felt that as an employee. You felt that having overseen a project and then everyone's cheering you one moment and then they're all speaking badly about you in the lunchroom the next. Maybe you've fallen in love and you think that it's reciprocated at the same level only to discover that um, they've had someone on the side the whole time. There's so many things that can happen to us in, in the moments of life that can just make us feel like we're on top of the world. And then the next moment, it just feels like we're just underneath it. And, and that's what happens. It's like you, you don't even know you're in a stressful moment, but, but all of a sudden you, you, you realize I'm not in just a stressful moment. I'm in actually a moment of burnout now. Because I don't know how to rebuild from here. And, and, and here in the story that we're in, he says, I'm no better than my ancestors. And the reason he says that is because he, he looks at himself and he feels like even though all he's done is obey God, because the people haven't turned away from Baal, even though he's destroyed their altars and destroyed their idols and he's destroyed their prophets, they still don't want to follow God. And he feels like a complete failure. Even though he had the most amazing moment of his ministry life. And so here's some of the mistakes that we can sometimes make when we are trying to outrun the things that are happening in our lives in the moment that we're in. The first mistake, and we learn this from Elijah, is that we can run away, but we can also run ourselves into the ground. 
And, and what Elijah does is that he was so afraid that he ran for his life. But when you run from your life instead of offering up your life, when you try to hold on to your life instead of surrendering it to God, you're actually putting yourself in a position where you are going to run yourself right into the ground. You see, he tried to run not just from God's people, but he tried to run from his purpose, his calling. He tried to run from God. In that moment, he's basically saying, I'm done with all of this. And the moment that we say things like that, just like Elijah did, is, is us manifesting the, the actual burnout and, and us bringing ourselves to burying us ourselves in the ground, just like he wants to be. He wants to be dead. He wants to be buried. He wants his life to be over. The second mistake that he makes in this is that he tries to do this all alone. And the Bible says that when he came to Beersheba in Judah, that he actually left his servant there. And, and what we often do is when we're going through something like this is that we make sure that no one comes with us. We just want to do it by ourselves because we are so broken by the burnout that we just make the stupidest decision to go it alone. Instead of going to people that can actually help us and heal us and who can help us rethink what it is that we're talking about and, and getting a different perspective on things and, and, and showing us the wisdom of God that can lead us out of this situation that we're in, we just abandon everyone and we run away and we leave the people that can actually help us behind. The third mistake that he makes is that he says that he is going to keep dwelling on the negative. And he's not intentionally doing this, of course, right? But we're learning from Elijah's mistakes. So we don't repeat them ourselves. But what he does is that he dwells on the negative and he, instead of looking at the positive and all the great things that have happened, he's only seeing the negative and he says, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. And then this is what he sees. Nothing else. This isn't the whole story. But when you're in a burnout, that's the whole story. When you're not well, physically, mentally, emotionally, that's the whole story. And you cannot trust your version of the story. Your version of the story is coming out of a place of burnout. So your version of the story is completely wrong. It's not a little bit right. It is 100% wrong. You cannot trust it. And what we often do is we keep dwelling on the negative because that's the narrative we've believed. And we keep repeating that narrative. And we keep reinforcing that narrative. And that's why people often can't forgive other people because they've been listening to their own negative version of the events of the story. And they are stuck and they don't know how to get unstuck because they just would rather hold on to the negative version of the story 
And without realizing it, taking steps towards a burnout. But sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do in a moment like this is rest. And what God does um, with Elijah is that he leads him to a place of rest. I believe that he's with him all along, but he's also guiding him. And when you're traveling in the desert, you may not know where the trees are, but you can probably see them from a distance. And, and he sees it from a distance, and he makes his way over there. But the thing that Elijah is doing in this moment is he's picking a good place to die. But what God sees is a good place to make him alive. And I want you to understand that every time we are thinking death, Jesus is thinking life. That every time we are taking steps towards our doom, Jesus is leading us to the depths of his living water. And, and when all we see is desert, he sees an oasis. And he's leading us to that very place where he is going to refresh us. And so sometimes the best thing that we can do in a situation like that, when we can't seem to break the patterns in which we're in, and we are in this anguished position and state, when we are determined to see ourselves die and everything that we have just burnt to the ground, then that's when we just need to step back and rest. Because when we do, and we turn to God in doing it, because as great as a vacation is, it cannot heal your brokenness. The only thing that can heal your brokenness is the presence of God. And the rest that you need isn't a vacation. The rest that you need is to be found in the presence of the healer. And we're always looking for ways to pleasure ourselves and entertain ourselves and to provide rest and relaxation for ourselves, but we don't realize that what we're missing in all this is, is actually the presence of God. And because we're people of means, and because we have more money now and more opportunity to travel the world than, than any generation before us, then that's how we imagine and envision that our rest and our peace is going to come. And we couldn't be further from the truth because the only place that you can experience true peace and true rest is in the presence of God. And Jesus all along is trying to lead you to that place. And, and I know this because in the scriptures it tells us this in the way that, that Jesus comes alongside Elijah and, and, and in the form of an angel. This is what we see in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 6, all the way down to 9. Let's read it together. Because what Elijah does is that he lays down and he sleeps under the broom tree. And I don't know about you, but sometimes like we, we escape through sleep. Sometimes sleep doesn't even come to us, even though we desperately want it, because we just can't seem to shut off our, our brain. And, and we're so anxious and, and worried that it keeps us up, right? And then we just go through this cycle of, of just restlessness that that, that rest is no longer a part of our lives in, in the way that we need it. And even sleep eludes us. And, but, but sometimes you get to a place where, where you're so depressed, all you can do is sleep. Have you ever experienced that? 
All you want to do is just sleep, just to escape having to be awake and to feel and, and, and to be reminded of everything that has gone wrong. And this is what Elijah does. He just, he lays down to sleep because for him, sleep isn't just sleep. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want to wake up from a good nap, you know. I, God bless my, my afternoon naps. Sometimes when I get an afternoon nap, it just, mm. Like, I, I just love it. I, I, I'm Italian. I, Italians need to nap. It's in my DNA. But when, when, I, when I studied in Italy and, 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 and I, I lived there, I go, what is this foreign land that understands the power of a nap? In the afternoon, everything just shuts down just because people need to sleep a little. I love that. It's not the only culture that does it, but, but it's where I, I experienced it. I'm like, if there's anything I'm going to learn from this country and carry on for the rest of my life, it's this nap. And I have been faithful to that lesson. <laughs> but when Elijah lays down to sleep, here's what happens. He's actually laying down to die. Like he's, he doesn't want to wake up ever. And God knows how serious he is about this. And so this is what he does. As he was sleeping, he sends an angel to touch him, wakes him up, and then serves him food. Gives him food and water and gives him what he needs. Like, he just does that for him. And then in verse 6, he looks around, and, and there beside his head, there's like bread baked on hot stones and, and a jar of water, and he ate and he drank. And then he's like, that was nice, but you know what? I still want to die. And so he goes back to sleep. And then the angel of the Lord lets him sleep for a little while, and then he comes again, and he touches him, and he says, I need you to get up, and I need you to eat more. Because there is a journey ahead of you that will be too much for you if you don't take what I have to offer. And the Bible says that Elijah gets up and he eats and he drinks. and He's not so rebellious in his spirit that he doesn't obey God's instructions and the help of the angel. He could have, but he doesn't. Not from what we can tell. And the food that is given to him is enough for him to travel and here's the journey that's ahead of him it's 40 days and 40 nights but it's to Mount Sinai where the tablets were given to Moses and, and it's, that's why it's called the mountain of God because that's where he met with his greatest prophet and now Elijah is being sent to that same place and the Bible says that he does the journey of having to travel for 40 days and 40 nights. And I, I don't know about you, but um, I've, I've, I've fasted before. I've never done a 40-day fast. But my brother did. And he was going through some things, and he went to a camp one day, and, and 
I brought him there. And he says, I'm going to stay here for 40 plus days. And the only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to fast and pray because my mind is just not right. And I, I remember trying to talk him out of it, you know, just like, no, oh, it's like too much. It's crazy. Like, it's not a good idea. And he's like, no. And, and you can't, you can't like call the camp and ask how I'm doing. You just, just trust that I'm going to be okay. And, and so I ended up talking to the camp, you know, people that were in charge. And I said, hey, you know, like, my brother is like not in a good place. So he's going to give you instructions. And he's given me the same ones. And just look out for his personal safety and just make sure he's okay. And uh, like, please, every day, just, just check in on him on the cabin and just make sure that he's okay. And if anything happens, you know, just let me know and, and I'll come down. Uh, but please, like, just do that. And so we had a, a secret pact and didn't tell my brother about any of that and let my brother do his thing. And, and uh, 40 days came up and I went to pick him up. And, you know, my brother is like my height, my size. I mean, except for the fact that he's got a beard, like we look like brothers. And when I went to pick him up after 40 days of having seen him fast, I did not recognize my brother. I mean, he was just literally skin and bones. So if, if you've never seen someone fast for 40 days, 40 nights, it is horrendous what happens to them. You have an image of someone in a concentration camp. That's what it looks like. That, that kind of deprivation where you're only drinking water and no food, that's what it looks like. And so when you picture Elijah in this moment, I don't want you to picture him healthy looking, strong and vibrant. I don't want you to think of him as someone who hasn't come out of something. He's come out of something and now he's just coming out of something else. And this thing that he's just come out of is worse than the first thing. And sometimes what we fail to understand is that the journey that we're on, we imagine that when God is with us, that, that things are just going to automatically get better. And I want you to know that, that, that strategically and in terms of what we see in the scriptures, before we have our breakthroughs, we go through what is clearly an extreme type of burnout. That before we can have that mountaintop experience again where God is leading Elijah to, I want you to know that you're going to go through a lot more difficulty before you actually experience that. But here's the good news, is that when he comes to the cave where he spends the night, God then gives him instructions to stand up and I, I want you to imagine how weak he must have been. Here's a guy that uh, up until now, all he wants to do is lie down and sleep. And here's a guy that all he wanted to do was just simply die. And, and not only that, but for the last 40 days, he has been going 
without any food and just a little bit of water, and it somehow has sustained him to the, to the point where he may not have even had any water. We don't even know if he had any for the journey. It, it seems like the angel provided everything that he needed before he went on the journey. And what we know is that scientifically, you cannot go three days without water. Because we're mainly water. Our, our physical composition is mainly water. And so if you don't have water beyond three days, you die. And so I believe that God is somehow miraculously sustaining and preventing Elijah's death all the way till he gets to the mouth of the cave. And then when he gets there, can you just imagine the collapse that is just in his mind and in his body? How he felt emotionally and spiritually completely drained. And then he gets one more instruction. And this instruction is for him to stand in the mouth of the cave. And, and what he's being asked to do here is he's being asked to stand in the presence of the Lord. I, you know, when someone is seating and is seated, excuse me, and and um, it's like almost disrespectful, you know, in, in in specific moments, and sometimes to show honor, we we stand up. When someone walks over to us, we don't stay seated because it's disrespectful to stay seated when someone is standing. So you stand. And then you invite the person to sit with you because you're equals. Because you want relationship. Because you want to look into another person's eyes. It's because you want to tell them that you're the same. And, and what, what God does is that he tells Elijah, a person who only wants to lie down and only wants to sleep, that he's now going to have a personal encounter with him. And he, what he wants to do, and this is such a beautiful moment, is tell Elijah, Elijah, I don't want you to be on the ground. Like when I sent my angel to feed you and to give you to something to drink, I want you to stand up so I can deal with you face to face. So when I walk by you, you can sense and you can see my presence. Because this is what the Lord says. I want you to go out and I want you to stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind just tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake. But, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord just wasn't in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper. Can we say amen to that? And, and, and I've often reflected on this passage, but I feel like I just, you know, sometimes you understand things a little more differently and sometimes a little deeper. And, um, and I feel like in the story that we're in that, 
that God knew exactly what Elijah needed. And he had already experienced the fire, you know. And it's not what Elijah needed again. Like he knows exactly what it is that you need in the moment that you need it. And he may have shown up and revealed himself by fire, but, but he knows that in the moment that he revealed himself by fire was because you needed that fire. That, that was what you needed for the moment that you were in. And so can you trust God for every moment that you're in that he's going to reveal himself the way that you need him? You see, he knew exactly what Elijah needed. The second thing is that God reveals his tender nature because up until now, Elijah doesn't even know that God can be tender. We learn about God's tenderness because of Elijah's brokenness. Because of his burnout, we get to discover what it looks like to be in a relationship with a tender God. We don't have to worry about the wind and the earthquake and the fire because God is able to come to us in a gentle whisper. And if you're looking for healing in your life, that's important, right? Like you don't need someone aggressive in your life telling you all the things that you've done wrong. I mean, you know what you've done wrong. There's no one harder on yourself than you. That's why you're in a burnout, for goodness sake. You don't need someone to point out what it is that you need to do different. You know everything needs to be different. You just don't even know where to start. So the last thing you need is instruction in how to do life better. You don't need the steps now. What you need is tenderness. You need the gentle whisper of God. And that's what God reveals to Elijah is that God is able to speak to us with a gentle whisper. When everybody else is shouting, God is whispering. And let me ask you to consider this. If you feel that God is shouting at you in your moment of burnout and brokenness, I want you to know that the person who's shouting is Satan. It isn't God. Because when we are burnt out and broken and we need healing and we need to be restored and we need to be made well, because of the scriptures, we can rely on this wisdom and this truth and this principle. And I want you to know that God in that moment isn't going to shout. He's going to whisper. And that's how you're going to know that's God and not anyone else other than him. And God's not going to ask you to lay on the ground and keep trying to die. He's going to tell you to stand up because he wants to look you in the eye and tenderly bring you back to a place of healing and restoration. That's where we're going to find God's presence. Is standing up before him. And everywhere in the scriptures, what's amazing is that people always had to literally just bow before God. Like no one could stand in his presence. Like it was, it was just a thing. You, how do you stand in the presence of glory? You just can't. And yet God is saying, in the presence of my glory, I want you to stand. That's how much he loves you. And Jesus said this. In John 15, 15, he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Today, know this, you are a friend of God. 
And in Jesus, we have a friend who sticks closer than any brother. And in Matthew 11, look at what it says from the version of the message. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? And Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. And so, Father, as you walk by us, as we get to call you Daddy, as we acknowledge and recognize that you're so much more for us than just a Savior of sin, but you are the Savior of our life. And I just pray that as you walk by us, that we would experience your presence like never before. And so we invite you into our life and we ask you to lead us so that we can learn from you, so we can practice your presence and experience the power of what it means to be sons and daughters of the Almighty King. All that you have at your disposal is at our availability. You give it to us as an inheritance. And today we claim that. We receive that. And we walk in the faith of the promise of that. And we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.